Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And, you know, I always say this, we don't have video on these podcasts. That's We need to look into that. But you've now officially migrated. You've transitioned. No more Giants hat, no more Yankees hat. Now we're we're into college basketball, Fordham. Yeah, I've got my I've got the the hat on my alma mater, Fordham Rams. Uh, we think we talked about it on the last podcast. Um, it's our best year in a very long time. Certainly, our best year since we joined the A10 um, almost thirty years ago. Um, it's it's been a struggle, but uh, um, it's been just fun to watch. We're uh, I think we're up to twenty three wins. We you know we're hoping to go through the Atlantic 10 tournament and get a bid to uh, to the big dance. Um, we'll see how it plays out, but it's just been a lot of fun to watch and uh, it's helped to fill a lot of the uh, the uh, the gloomier days of winter. Well, I'm already watching Mets spring training. They've already, they're already televising those things. So I've already watched one game, one game in the books. No, I mean, you know, we're getting close because spring training's on TV. Um, if you're a golf fan, Masters ads are starting to show up on uh, CBS, so you can hear the the piano and the guitar theme for uh, for Augusta, and you know you start dreaming of azaleas and all it, and and obviously uh, we we are today we is the twenty eighth, so we are literally on the cusp of March Madness. Um, so uh, it's a fun time of year. Yeah, so we've got action in spring training baseball. We've got action in college basketball and bringing it a little closer to home for you in Washington. Now, all of a sudden we have action at the Supreme Court. Yeah. I mean, you got, know, last year was such a busy year and uh, maybe some people thought that uh, the, the court couldn't follow up with such a an action-packed uh, schedule and agenda and docket, but um, maybe the cases aren't quite as sexy to the, the general public, but uh, they're still important cases for those of us in the financial sector. They, they are. And I was going to say, let's look at two of them that specifically are going to get the the uh, the financial sector's um, interest. We've got the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB case, although I, I'm not sure if that's this term, but then you've also got uh, President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan being looked at the court. Um, thoughts on these two? So I'll start with the CFPB. Um, you're right. It, um, it's not this term. Um, they just announced yesterday, uh, announced this week, that they will hear the case next term. And this involves the CFPB's budget. Um, and for those of you who have lives and don't follow this stuff uh, religiously, um, when the CFPB was created under the Dodd-Frank Act, um, Lawmakers, Democrats wanted to keep the agency independent of congressional interference. Um, so the CFPB doesn't get its budget directly from Congress. Uh, instead, it gets its money from the Fed, um, which also doesn't get its money directly from Congress. Anyway, the, the CFPB can request up to 12% of the Fed's annual budget. Um, it's that double insulation. Remember, I said. CFPB mm -hmm. doesn't get it from Congress. They get it from the Fed, but the Fed doesn't get it either from Congress. Right. That double insulation um, has kind of gotten the court's attention. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've been going through these, a, a bunch of cases over the last couple of years. Um, the court is kind of methodically overturning laws where in the, in the court's view, Congress 
It's not exerting its constitutional oversight role, um, or agencies have um, uh, imposed or created regulations relying on statutes that are kind of vague, um, and the courts are clipping the agency's wings and saying, no, you, you're going beyond con uh, Congress's original intent, and you're reading way too much into that. Um, this is in the first bucket, right? You, uh, um, uh, but it, it does seem to be one of those cases ripe for uh, for the court to uh, to intervene and and kind of get Congress back to what it what the court sees as its proper role constitutionally. So, if the court were to rule that the CFPB budget is on is unconstitutional, then what? So um, there are actually kind of two parts to that question. Um, so what happens to existing CFPB rules? I mean, the agency's been in existence for 10 plus years, and it's, uh, it's created a number of financial regulations. What happens to those? Uh, I think they probably remain in place. Uh, the court is, tends to shy away from chaos um, and overturning those in the stroke of a pen, all those regulations, that would be chaotic. Um, so um, the, I, I think the court would probably say, well, the CFPB was acting with what they refer to as the color of authority, um, even though they didn't have proper authority. Um, so we're going to leave those in place. Um, then the other question is, what would happen in the budget? And what does that mean? Um, so Congress would have to decide if, if the court does say that nah, you're doing this, you're doing the budget the wrong way. Then Congress would have to decide, do you subject the agency to the appropriations process where every year Congress has to okay a budget? Or do you uh, would Congress allow the agency to fund itself by user fees? I mean, and that's done by other agencies as well. Uh, Republicans are going to push for the appropriations route. Democrats probably going to push for the fee route. Uh, the appropriations method gives Congress more leverage, more oversight over the agency. Um, and I think industry participants will like that more, would like that more, um, because it means that Congress could intervene and block things that that certain industries oppose. Um, I'm not so sure that it would work out that way. Um, you know, a lot of CFPB actions are politically popular and Congress might have a, a tough time politically intervening. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly gives Congress more uh, leverage, more oversight uh, over the agency. But um, again, how this all plays out, um, going back to what I mentioned before, uh, the, the, the court will hear the case in its next term, that's next fall, uh, and probably we don't probably don't get an answer from the court until kind of the middle of next year, kind of May, June, maybe very early July of 2024. So it's we're not going to get an immediate answer from the court. Something else for us to look at in 2024. Absolutely. We can, we can schedule that podcast right now. How's that? <laughs> I'm making a note of that. Um, okay. So then we have the, the other case, which I guess is a more immediate um, situation, and that's the student loan case, which, you know, when President Biden announced those plans to forgive a certain um, portion of student loans, I mean, it ended up being very controversial. I don't know if it was as controversial as he thought it was going to be when they announced it, but clearly um, this is this is an issue taking center stage. And this you're saying the court is going to look at more immediately. Yeah. So there, um, as we speak uh, on on this Tuesday morning on the 28th of February, the court is hearing oral arguments on this case right now, and we'll probably get a decision from the court sometime uh, in the spring. Um, so, yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, President Biden 
uh, decided to forgive uh, a good chunk of student loans, um, is relying on a 2003 law. So that there's a, there's a there's an issue. Did he exceed his authority under that 2003 law? Um, that that's going to be debated this morning and argued at the court. There's also this technical issue that non-lawyers probably don't don't get, but it's called standing. Um, does one of the parties involved, the, the party that brought the suit, are they actually being harmed? And the suit was being brought by a number of states. And there's going to be a question and, and questioning at the court this morning. Do those states, have they been harmed? Uh, some of their finance agencies that help their own student loan programs, you could argue they have been harmed, um, but they're not the eight entities that actually brought the lawsuit. So, uh, you know, it is possible that the court just sidesteps the question whether uh, President Biden had the authority uh, or not uh, under the 2003 law to forgive those loans and, and, and just say, hey, you know, uh, plaintiffs, you got you states that brought this suit. You don't have standing um, and, and just sidestep it that way. I guess you can't you can't bring a, a lawsuit just because you don't like something. No, like uh, you don't like the law. You don't like the policy. That's not enough to get you into court. Um, you actually have to show that that you have been harmed somehow, and not just that somebody else benefited and you didn't get the benefit. Although there, yeah. there are some cases we we could argue that that might be enough for standing. But you have to actually show some kind of physical financial harm uh, in order to have standing. Got it. Uh, all right, so that's the Supreme Court, and now we also have Congress looking at uh, some stuff, specifically um, a Department of Labor rule on ESG investing, another sort of hot topic. What is going on there? So the Department of Labor, um, which oversees fiduciaries, uh, it passed a rule allowing a fiduciary to consider ESG, environmental, social, governance factors when making investment decisions. And the, and the rule basically says that you, are, you fiduciary can be considered to be uh, fulfilling your fiduciary obligations to your client um, in certain circumstances with ESG uh, investing. Uh, congressional Republicans oppose that, um, that rule. They have proposed legislation to block the rule. Um, they're using something that's called the Congressional Review Act, the CRA. Um, and the CRA kind of is a is a quick method for Congress to block regulations it doesn't like. And when I say quick, it goes to the House. And on the Senate side, it, this is where the quick comes in. Um, it actually allows the Senate to consider the blocking bill uh, under a simple majority. Instead of that typical 60 vote majority that we normally see, um, it's only a simple majority. And um, you know, I, I think it's a long shot for this bill to, to pass the Senate. I don't, I, um, but given that it's a simple majority, it's not out of the question that it would pass the Senate. The problem is after that, let's just say hypothetically, the House passes it. I think it's been considered today. Say in the next week or so, the Senate considers it. And it goes to the White House. The president's going to veto it. Um, and even if the Senate uh, passes the bill, there aren't enough uh, votes in the Senate to overturn the veto. So um, mm. I, I think this is a regulation uh, that's probably going to stay on the books. And, and investment advisors, as you if you have clients 
uh, that are interested in ESG investing, um, uh, and you're a fiduciary, uh, um, this 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 rule is probably going to stay in place. It probably gives you a little bit more flexibility than it would other than you would have otherwise. Understood. Um, and before we let you go, Brian, I know we've talked about this before, and time does seem to be to be passing. Uh, the debt ceiling. Any anything new there? Yeah, we talked about it before, and we're going to talk about it again and again and again. Um, so, not a lot, but I, I think there's there's there've been no big moves in the negotiations. But you can kind of see the parameters of the negotiations; they're starting to appear. Um, you know, each side is saying what's on the table, off the table, and most of the budget is off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've mentioned before, but it, it, it's worth reiterating. If you take, so lawmakers of both parties have said social security and Medicare are off the table. Uh, if you add those two to interest on the debt, which you really can't touch, that's 71% of the budget. Um, despite some noise from some, some Republicans who want defense cuts, most Republicans and most Democrats are in agreement on not touching defense. So if you add defense to that 71%, you're at 85% of annual spending. That's off the table. It's only 15% of the budget that that you're negotiating to see if you can make some adjustments as part of this debt ceiling negotiation. Um, The chairman of the House Budget Committee about two, three weeks ago, um, Congressman Arrington from from Texas, he released a, a list of possible cuts that his committee might look at. When you look at the list, it's pretty modest, um, especially when you can, you know, these are these are items that are $100 billion here, $75 billion there. Well, those sound like big numbers to you and me, um, but- Not you, not you. Well, those aren't big um, numbers to you, but anyway. Uh, thank you. Um, but in the annual budget is over $6 trillion. Yeah. And when you see these lists of- uh, of budget cuts, they they tend those numbers tend to be spread out over ten years. It's not a one year sum that you're seeing, so that dilutes it and on an annual basis even more. Um, and th- this is where it kind of gets tricky politically, and will spill into the markets eventually. Um, so these lack of big bold options, I, I think I could see that causing a problem for Speaker Kevin McCarthy with conservative Republicans. You, you have this group of conservative Republicans who want big cuts, and they've been promising their constituents big cuts. Um, well, if they come up with a, a small list, you know, that even that small list might be a bridge too far for Democrats. So there may be very few Democratic votes for, uh, unless you unless you get buy-in from the Biden administration, and, and I don't know where they're going to be on this. I, I suspect they're going to push back on a lot of these uh, proposals, stuff like um, repurposing or, or rescinding unspent COVID funds, um, uh, there's about a hundred billion dollars left of that. But anyway, um, you know, if, if you can't get, um, all the Republicans on board, well, Democrats aren't going to help McCarthy. And then if McCarthy has to go to, to Democrats and get them to sign on something, well, he's going to lose a bunch of Republicans and those Republicans that, that don't, aren't with McCarthy on this, um, you know, these are the Republicans who didn't vote for him for speaker yeah. and they may try and remove him. Um, and then we 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 wind up with not only do we wind up with a standoff over the budget, but then we go back to kind of that first week of January where the House is looking for a speaker all over again. Yeah. So a lot of political chaos, but 
you know, to how this all plays out and delaying any kind of deal on a debt ceiling uh, increase, you could see some volatility in the markets. Um, you know, within the last week or so, um, the Congressional Budget Office came out with an estimate of the X date. That's when mm-hmm. Treasury exhausts its uh, its extraordinary powers to uh, ex- extraordinary uh, authorities to to manage the debt ceiling. Um, CBO is saying sometime between July and September. So um, we we now know it's the second half of the year, summer, maybe into early fall. So it's not imminent. It's not right away. Um, but it's coming. Yeah. Well, our chief equity strategist, Barry Bannister at Steeple, has also pointed to other reasons to be a little bit concerned about the back half of the year for the market. So this is just one other item that um, we'll be watching. Well, you know, Neil, you have that old the old market saying, sell in May and go yeah. away. Yeah. I will not be going away this summer. I will yeah. um I will be right here. Okay. Popcorn in hand. No, no vacation for watching you. Watching the uh, the debate over the debt ceiling because that's what I do. And and the Yankees, You'll the do. Yankees. Yes. Well, um, Brian, thanks as always. I think we're out of time for this uh, this edition of Thank the you, podcast, Neil. but appreciate your thoughts. Good luck. I think we'll reconvene next, and we'll um, already the uh, March Madness tournament will have started or we'll just be starting well at least you know if i get lucky maybe i'll be doing it remotely from some regional location uh if my rams can uh you uh, could can 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 rally in the next couple weeks one could hope one could hope i every day well good luck with that thank you again and thanks to everyone for listening we'll see you again in a couple of weeks with another episode of potomac perspective take care